Alexa, make me a sandwich. Okay, you're a sandwich. That is so cheesy. Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Carmen Murray Show. Super excited to have you here. If you're new to the show, uh, please do subscribe um, to Spotify, iTunes, or whichever preferred station you have. I'm also going to introduce my assistant who works with me, and she's still in training, so please be forgiving. And She doesn't always get the answers right. The first question I would like to ask her is, Alexa, can you yodel for us? I do enjoy a good yodel. Ahem. Ole, 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 ole. Round of applause. Well done. Alexa, tell us a joke. Why did the biker gang go to the dentist? To get their choppers filled. Um, okay, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't crack that one so well, but at least it's better than, than what we've heard before from you. So Alexa, can you tell us what's chatbots? A chatbot is a computer program or an artificial intelligence which conducts a conversation via auditory or textual methods. Such programs are often designed to convincingly simulate how a human would behave as a conversational partner, thereby passing the Turing test. Chatbots are typically used in dialogue systems for various practical purposes, including customer Alexa, service. Or okay. Thank you very much for that. We actually have an expert in the room that's going to tell us more, so we'll give her a bit of a break. So very, very excited. Uh, we've got Godfrey Parkin today with us in studio. He is an internationally respected digital strategist. He is on the boards of a number of global tech startups and has a advised household name companies in more than 30 or 40 countries, I believe. Now, I want to give you a drum roll, so I'm going to do it like sideways. Drum roll. Godfrey, welcome. Thank you very much, Carl. <laughs> how are you? So tell me, how, what did you think of Alexa's introduction? Do you think that she was spot on or do you think she needs a bit of help? Well, Alexa is quoting Wikipedia and Wikipedia is not always Sorry, right. I'm not sure. That's what happens. She interrupts you whenever you talk about her. Put it right all. <laughs> Put it on silence. There you go. That's the problem with chatbots. <laughs> <laughs> they like to own the conversation. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So you're very much into um, the future of chatbots and where it's going. And you've been making huge impacts and rattling the cages a bit. And I think putting the fear of God in some people that are not so used to where it's going. And I think it, it's good for us to maybe start from the beginning as to tell us, like, how did this all begin? How did you end up in this industry? Um, a long and twisted and contorted path going back. I was involved with AC Nielsen mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I've been yeah. a marketing analyst for a very long time. Um, and I ended up the kind of tender age of 28 being asked to go and run their international operations out of Switzerland. Wow. So after about uh, a nanosecond of thought, I said yes <laughs> um, and found myself gadding around the world looking after 35 countries. Um, and I hated it. Uh, it was fantastic for the first couple of years and, and absolutely brilliant. You know, different city every week, several cities a week, lots of airplanes, lots mm. of this, that, and the other, unlimited expense account. Absolutely cool when you're 28. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just like, my eyes are rolling. I'm like, I'm like, that is just so bragging. That is amazing. But, but it was in the days before the internet. It was in uh. the days before even email. If you wanted to do anything, you actually had to get on a plane and go and sit in a room with people. Yeah which is insane. Um, and it just wore me down. And so I started doing stuff as remotely as I could. The PC was launched the, the, um, probably in the early 80s. Uh, and I started doing programmed stuff that I could send to people on floppy disks. And that was kind of my entry into the digital world was like, I don't actually have to Bogota, come to Bogota, Colombia, do I? Couldn't I just send you a disk and you could work through the documentation <laughs> with your people? And it worked quite well. And so from there, it just things just got better and better. I started my own business um, doing literally digitized learning programs and selling boxes of floppy disks to people uh, to license the content. Quite but, a disruptive way of thinking, uh, if, yeah, if you was. think about it, in those days. It was totally disruptive because people were going, what's a computer? <laughs> <laughs> How do you get one of those? <laughs> Um, but it was it was fun, and you know things went on from from strength to strength, and then I got kind of bored with that because I have a very low boredom threshold. Um, and I was living in Switzerland, which is a great place to live in if you have retired mentally. Okay, um, it's a very quiet and unexciting place. Really? Um, well, unless you're into mountain climbing or skiing, which, I suppose you know you can't do that every day. So uh, we moved to London to start up a computer games company. So that was in the kind of the beginning days of computer games. Um, And we ended up building a lot of technology, which is still used today. Um, 3D avatars, virtual worlds, that kind of stuff. So I got more and more involved in kind of this digital tech stuff as it went forward and trying to find new ways of using old equipment because we never had the money to do things the way Mm. we should be able to do them. So... I think I've always been very involved in the idea of communicating with people, using technology to do both the talking and the thinking. Mm. I moved from there to the U.S. to live in uh, D.C. and I ran an e-learning company um, out of D.C. and a marketing consulting company out of D.C. And just got more and more involved with that that whole tech world. So uh, it's been part of my blood since I was in my 20s. I think it's incredible, especially when, you, when you're an early adopter of technology. I find that when you're a latecomer, a lagger, I think as they would say, oh. um, with technology, it can be quite daunting. And it's um, especially in a time that we're in now, there's no time for catch up. It's literally moving from the one to the next. And that's a problem. You know, it's a huge problem for companies. Uh, who have an older generation of people who are determining their strategy because the strategy is built on the wrong platform. Mm. Those people tend to think that the world changes in increments of maybe a year at a time. Yeah, It changes in increments of maybe an hour at a time or a week at a time these days. And, and if, if you're not geared to anticipate that and respond to it, you are going to be left so far behind that there is no hope of ever catching up. 
Yeah. And we, you see that happening to whole industries right mm. now, you know, the newspaper industry, the magazine industry, the, the music industry. Mm. Um, and broadcasting. I think broadcasting, broadcasting is yeah. in tremendous trouble at the moment. Yeah, it's everybody's struggling to go, well, what's, is this internet thing really going to upset us? Probably not. Mm. But it is. It already has. You know, you just look at Netflix. Netflix accounts for 15% of all of the data on the internet. That's incredible. That's one service, one company. It's like data obesity. It's like, yeah. like total, total, totally next level. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was um, busy reading this book. You must um, read it. It's called AIQ. I can't remember the authors, but they talk specifically in this book about the, the whole idea of Moore's Law mm -hmm. and then the new Moore's Law, which is all about data. And the interesting fact that they mentioned in there is like in 2013, data produced by um, Congress was about 10 terabytes. In that same year, Amazon, Google, and Facebook, and Apple produced 120,000 times more terabytes of data than Congress for the United States. But in that same year, or a year later, Amazon produced 120,000 times more terabytes of data than Google, Apple, and Facebook combined. And that is just showing you where we are heading. And it's just too much data to process. And, and I mean, who, I mean, everybody's, I'm, I'm going to say this with the greatest respect. Everybody complains and say, oh my gosh, we're not going to have a job. Do you want to have a job where you want to have to process through so much data? Would you ever be able to even do it is the question. So it's there to enable us. It, it creates a big problem. One of the companies that, that I'm um, about to launch actually in India is an education company. And, and this whole data explosion and the AI explosion creates a huge problem for what used to be called knowledge professions mm. because um, without meaning to insult doctors and lawyers and, and people like that, essentially you get into your job by spending six years cramming data into your head and then being able to regurgitate it appropriately mm. uh, and take the appropriate action based on it, which is can be modeled. So now we've got computers that can absorb every legal case study ever written in a nanosecond uh, or read every medical book that's ever been produced in a nanosecond. And those devices are capable of finding patterns in that data that the human brain could never see because it's too complex. Mm, mm. Um, so you've got, um, in China, for example, if you're doing chest x-rays, every single one of those is actually analyzed by a computer. And the AI is faster, does it in seconds, uh, and far more accurate than the human experts. So if you're a radiologist, you've got to ask yourself, where's the future? Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. That's so scary. Anything that, anything that is repetitive and requires vast amounts of data can be done by a computer. It's, it's, it's really getting to a stage where you want to live your, your purpose. And it's back into the age of creativity. I almost think I see it as the Renaissance era where we really need to, to get back to learning how to be more creative and let the machines do their thing and make life better. But let's get into this chatbots because it's, it's really um, fascinating and interesting. Where do you see chatbots going? <laughs> like anything in technology, they are a transitional technology. They will become incredibly sophisticated incredibly quickly, and then we'll leave them behind. Really? Yeah. Why do you say that? Because the ability for people to engage with computers without having to speak or without having to type 
is already around. So mm -hmm. I'm talking about mental engagement with a computer. So li literally be able to think into that database without having to type something or write something or speak something is already there. And that technology is just advancing at an incredible pace. So we will be interfacing with the internet by just thinking, probably within five or six years. And how would that work by just by thinking? Does that require the, the implant that everybody's so petrified of? Or it, it, how, how would that it'll work? It'll probably require something that you wear either on your head or on your wrist. Mm -hmm. And it'll involve you know, galvanic um, readings in the same way that people can now who weren't able to walk before because they had a broken spine can now actually move their legs because they've got one chip above the brake and one chip below the brake and, and they can think what it must do and it does it you know so so the interface between electronics and human beings is already um, pretty awesome I mean we're all cyborgs in one way or another mm. already um, the only difference is that, that the cyborg part for most of us is sitting in our hand Mm. You know, and we think of it as a phone, but it's actually a, a sort of cyborgian interface to to the World Wide Web and this vast pool of data that you're talking about. One of the interesting things that fascinates me is how they talk about voice bots and, and how that's going to take over. And I think they call it the Amara's Law when you overestimate technology in the short period of time, but over a long period of time, you underestimate it. Yeah. And I don't think that companies are paying attention to the value or the, 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 the I mean, it's not like you're going to have a SEO strategy for voice. If you're not there, when you ask the question, like we've done with Alexa, if you're not the top, um, on top of the, um, the server or the engine that's serving you, you are going to have a big problem because you're not going to be relevant. So what do businesses need to start doing in order to, to start um, evolving with, with this um, massive force that's among us? Well, the, the initial thing you've got to do is understand how these things work in the background. Mm. If you do a search on Google, for example, um, currently where you're typing in a keyword or, or a phrase that you're hoping to find a solution to, Google maps that against keyword triggers that it's got on millions of pages that it's ranked in terms of how good they are across at least 200 factors. And they will present you with a series of pages that map to what you search for. When we are typing stuff in, we tend to use a shortcut. You know, we'll type in two, three, four words. We won't type in a full sentence. And so websites have become built to be search engine optimized. So we mm. build websites around keyword themes, knowing that that's how the search engine is going to identify what we're doing. Once we start talking to our computers and start asking questions verbally rather than typing stuff in, we talk to these, these machines as if they're human beings. It's really weird, but that's what we do. We use full sentences. You know, we'll say, um, hey, Google, how long is it going to take me to get to the airport? Yes. Um, instead of typing in airport and then hoping that we, have to, we can tap, <laughs> tap on something and drag something and eventually find an answer to the question because we know the answer will come back. It'll be spoken to us. So if you want the system to be able to project your content into that answer, mm. you need to rewrite your websites so that they are conversational rather than purely informational. I love that because, I mean, I always, just a, another example, SOPs, although I think those things need to die, but standard operating procedures. I mean, I came out of the hospitality industry. Our SOP manuals was like, like Shakespeare books, like, you know, like yeah. this thick thing and you had to remember every procedure. 
in today's you know time and age it's so much easier just to go into a chatbot and to say or a button and ask the question that you're unsure of and it extracts the information and it says to you okay well this is how you need to handle this particular situation or this is the standard procedure for x y and z and i think that companies are underutilizing the abilities because it's not just about the customer it's also something that can really enhance your business operationally Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. And we'll probably find that voice interaction will become the norm within businesses and within industries uh, before it becomes the norm within the consumer space. Because if you are an engineer trying to fix something at a telephone exchange, for example, how much easier is it to speak into a headphone-mounted mic? You know, do I cut the blue wire or the red wire? Red exactly. wire? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I would not rely on that answer. Then you have to try search, search for it on your, on your phone and, and, and hope for the best. You know? So, so it, it's a fantastic shortcut because the way, we, the way we engage with data right now is incredibly slow and inefficient. Mm. typing and reading is like the slowest thing you can do. I know. And, and also, I believe that I heard the stat that language and writing, those kind of skills will disappear within mm. the next 20 years or so. We won't be writing anymore. It won't be something as popular as it is today. It's, and sadly, it's archaic. I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to get to the stage where kids who are being born today will be saying to their parents, what is that thing? And they'll be looking at a book and there'll be black and white things on it that it can't actually understand. In the same way we look at Egyptian hieroglyphics, we'll go, this is really how they used to do things in the old days. <laughs> Why do you have to do that when you can just speak into a microphone? You know, or when you can just think and the, and the answer comes to you? Because that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's not science fiction. Mm, no, totally. Godfrey, so you brought us some interesting clips today to illustrate how voice has become so humanized, if I can put it that way, and, and the ability of us not even identifying that we are interacting with a bot or a robot or voice rather than a human being. So maybe take the first clip um, of the book and, and share it with the audience. The first place that I can well remember was a large pleasant meadow with a pond of clear water in it. Some shady trees leaned over it and rushes and water lilies grew at the deep end. While I was young, I lived upon my mother's milk, as I could not eat grass. In the daytime, I ran by her side, and at night, I lay down close by her. When it was hot, we used to stand by the pond in the shade of the trees. And when it was cold, we had a nice warm shade. Let's talk about that. Mm. That sounds um, not really like a robot. Mm. It's incredible. It's a system developed by a company called Voices. Um, and I think they're out of Cambridge. It's a, in, no, it's actually an Irish company. Normally, when we listen to computer-generated voices, all they're doing is they're taking text and they're mapping it against a pre-recorded clip of somebody actually speaking. So the computer isn't speaking. It's mm. just matching stuff against recordings. What Voices does is it listens to a human voice and it learns it. And then you can feed anything into it and it will, it will read it with its own voice, but it'll read it with the voice that it's learned. Wow. So it's absolutely, for me, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it because this is just the beginning um, of so bizarre. a totally new way of doing things. Voices require seven to ten hours of listening to a person's voice to be able to replicate it perfectly. Mm. And that's quite easily done with public figures and actors and musicians, people that are constantly being recorded. 
Um, and it's quite easily done with people that have professional voices who want to be used for computers. So you're going to find that already the voices that you're hearing on those systems don't freak you out. You sort of know that you're listening to a computer, but it actually feels like something you can relate to. It's not so realistic that it's freaky, because that is always the, the dangerous thing, is, is when you get to the point where I can't tell that I'm speaking to a human or not. And that's the point that, that we get to now with what Google has been doing. Because mm -hmm. Google has been taking voices technology, and it's one thing to read a book or to read a text. It's another thing to be able to think on your digital feet and have a conversation that sounds like it's real. And that's where AI kicks in. And Google is like really, really hot on the AI and they've connected AI to a voice system uh, and built it into their Google interface. So you can now get your Google Assistant to make appointments for you at the hairdresser. I think let's play that clip. So how can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. OMG. I can't tell the difference. Who was it? Was it the, the person making the appointment or was it the person jotting the down person the appointment? The making the appointment was the computer calling in on behalf of Lisa. That is insane. Yeah, that's kind of weird. To the point where Google is now having to declare that you're speaking to a robot. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Whenever you use that system on your phone. Because it is actually, you know, you talk about, you talk about integrity in marketing. Mm. We have a problem with that. Because if people believe that they're engaging with a real human being, that's deceptive. Mm. And so it creates all sorts of questions for people in marketing because every major company is going to have not just one of these. They're going to have a whole family of people that you can talk to. And those families will be matched psychometrically to the customer. So what we know about the customer will tell us what voice or what persona we need to be talking to them in to keep them calm and keep them happy. But people need to know that they're not talking to a real human being because they will feel deceived. <laughs> I mean, I, I already feel deceived. I mean, I'm just listening to that. It's, it's, but the interesting thing is the bad side of it, if you are not good at programming and, you know, you don't have your AI down to the T and the machine learning takes off and it takes off in a different direction where it becomes inappropriate conversations. What would that scenario cause for a company because who do you sue? Do you sue the, the company or, you, you know, because it becomes like a very gray line? Yeah, the problem with AI is that AI does tend to get angry as it gets smarter. Um, and I think Microsoft have discovered that because what AI needs to be effective, it needs databases, it needs mathematics, it needs computing power, 
and it needs an algorithm that learns. And Google's got all of that. Amazon's got all of that. I mean, Amazon, is, as you were saying, has a ton of data. It's got a ton of information. And so all of these guys have got all the ingredients they need for AI. But the problem with AI is that if you let it go, it learns from the data that's being fed to it. And if the data that's being fed to it is people getting angry and obnoxious, it becomes angry and obnoxious. Interesting. So um, when Microsoft uh, ran out a chatbot um, a year or so ago, they were horribly embarrassed because it learned how to engage with people by monitoring millions and millions and millions of interactions on Facebook. And so essentially it became a Nazi. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was obnoxious. This is not the right time for, for, for anything to become a Nazi. <laughs> so, so we've, you know, we've got to be really, really careful what, if, if AI learns from human beings, mm. it becomes human. And sometimes human is not the best thing to be. 100%. And I mean, wasn't it two years ago, Facebook shut down their AI program mm. because they, the computers were communicating with one another, didn't understand the language. The rumor that I think the press got wrong completely was that these two AIs were talking to each other in a language that people couldn't understand. And that really freaked them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would freak me out too. I mean, it's interesting times where we're going. I personally feel very optimistic. I believe that we're going into an age where we would have our own personal AI, the AI that understands me as an individual, as a human being, and serves me as an individual. Digital butler. My digital butler. I love that. Oh my gosh, let's do an article on that one. Let's hashtag that, digital butler. But because seriously, then your AI can speak to the AI of uh, any of the retailers that you want to buy stuff from, and the two AIs can decide what product you're going to get and how much you're going to pay for it. There's actually a case study. I can't remember the, the company specifically, but they did something so interesting with AI on Instagram where um, you could go hashtag choose choose product and it identified the image of the picture that you liked, whoever was wearing it. And it sent the information to the actual manufacturer so that they could actually produce the clothing that got the most attention. I mean, yeah. that is just like using image recognition, um, AI, and really just serving the customer's needs. I mean, I don't know if you, you listen to Oprah Winfrey's Souls, I think it's called Soul Sunday um, podcast or Soul podcast. She has one of her interviews, and please go and listen to it, by Will I Am, talking about AI. I heard about that interview. <gasps> I haven't listened to it. It blew my mind away. Absolutely blew my mind away. And it just goes back to what you are saying in terms of being human is not always a good thing because human beings can be very invasive. And, um, you know, AI is there to serve us, but to what extent? And we would like to think that it's going to bring a lot of good to the world. But then the one thing is they were talking about autonomous cars or autonomous vehicles and that if there was an accident about to happen, that it could recognize the person sitting in the vehicle with the most um, value in their bank account. Who's going to survive the accident? The, those kind of things yeah. freak me out. Yeah. I'm not sure if, you know, to what level, to what extent will this, will this lead us to? But those ethical questions are really at the heart of AI development right now because everybody acknowledges that if you have something as powerful as artificial intelligence, 
it needs to be controlled by something. And the thing that has to control it is some form of morality. But we've never codified that, you know, other than religion that goes back thousands of years that in many instances is totally inappropriate to today's technological society. We've never actually sat down and codified. If you're in a car that's driven by a computer and you're about to run over a small child in the middle of the road, and in order to avoid doing that, you have to swerve and hit an old man on the other side of the road, what is your choice? You know, we've never had that conversation. And, and the systems need to actually do that. And I think there'll be an awful lot of bloodshed along the way, figuratively speaking, until we get to a stage where we're happy that these things do make the best decision that's possible to be made. It'll never be a perfect decision. Oh, no, no, for sure. And I think for me, I, I, I kind of going the Elon Musk route, I know mm. he's very controversial, but I do, I do believe that are we creating, I do believe it can bring a lot of good, but what concerns me is the regulation behind it. And because of capitalism, that self-interest, it does concern me as to, uh, you know, you and I work a lot with marketers, um, with corporates, they will do things until they're told not to. Mm-hmm. They, they wait for a regulation. If there's no regulation to tell you how to behave and act. I mean, look at what happened with Cambridge Analytica. Sure. That whole situation, um, there was no code of conduct to really say how, how it was supposed to be handled. So it was actually allowed. Sure. And we're all predators in one way or another. I mean, mm. if, we have, if we're given access to data that we can use to make our lives better, either as businesses or individuals, we will use it. Um, and so somewhere along the way, there has to be a control put into it But the moment you put controls into it, you've got to ask yourself who's controlling the controllers. Mm. Because once government gets into it, then you're looking at the potential for totalitarianism. Um, Once religion gets into it, you're looking for the potential for totalitarianism. Oh, my gosh. Um, But if you let this thing go completely free, then you're looking at anarchy. Um, Mm. Personally, I prefer anarchy. Uh, but are you a punk fan? Well, I was. You were. (laughs) Should I stay or should I go? Well, that's apparently not punk. Apparently, that's rock or some the uh, clash the clash the clash was started out as punk and then became well they got an obe so oh i love that music (laughs) though i wouldn't ask alexa to sing it for us because she will definitely ruin it for us (laughs) but yeah you were saying um you know you prefer anarchy yeah i think that 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 what comes out of anarchy is progress Mm. And, and we, we use the expression in marketing all the time. We, we talk about um, using technology to um, demolish the old paradigms and, and bring in new paradigms, and that's literally what it, what it does. You can't fight that. It's going to happen anyway, so you should actually embrace it, and mm. you should encourage it, and you can say, okay, I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be, but the outcome will probably be better than, than where we are right now. And that applies to the way business operates. It applies to the way we teach people. It applies to the way we run governments. Um, there's a lot to be said for breaking down the old in order to make way for the new. Mm. Question, do you actually get involved in the development of these kind of projects with organizations? So do you advise them on it? How, how does this whole process work um, with Brightfire? My involvement is always at a strategic level. So we, we don't get involved in actually writing code. Mm. There's some very smart people out there that do that already. But the, the, the issue is not, is the technology available? Because it is. It's how do you use it to actually enhance your business and make your customers happy. 
that's really the problem that most companies have is they go, is it a toy? Do we need to take it seriously? And how do we actually integrate it? How do we use AI? The biggest impact that AI has in companies right now or over the next year is going to be in things like call centers. Mm. You know, 85% of all customer interactions um, by 2020 are going to be without people involved. It's all going to be automated. And that has a big impact on the organizational structure of a business. It has a big impact on people's lives. It has a, you know, there's, there's a whole new range of careers and departments that need to be stacked into a company in order to accommodate and exploit this stuff. But it probably means moving aside or, or slimming down some of the existing departments and people. So uh, the big fear that everybody has is that AI will create mass unemployment. And the answer to that is yes, it will. Mm. Uh, but it will also create better jobs, better paying jobs, more interesting jobs. Mm. The one thing that keeps on coming up is with AI specifically, you know, it's a buzzword that I feel everybody uses very loosely. It's like the word disruption. Mm. Um, we use it so loosely that it's almost lost its meaning. And there's a lot of companies that talk about it, but are not acting upon it and not enforcing it. And the only way that you can really um, become relevant is becoming a practitioner mm -hmm. of some sort. Is this an expensive project to experiment with? No. no. Why do you say that? Most of the knowledge, most of the code, most of the systems is available in the cloud. Most of it is either free or incredibly inexpensive. Uh, if you go the route of using some of the tools provided by some of the big cloud service providers like Amazon, again, AWS, <laughs> uh, you're paying like tiny, tiny thousandths of a cent per use of this system. You know, it, it, it doesn't add up to much at all uh, to actually access and plug into their AI systems and plug into plug into the tools that they make available. If you're doing stuff on the web yourself, there are lots of small operations that have started up over the last two years that have created their own AI systems that you can literally drag and drop into your website or into your app so that you have access to voice recognition, voice output, conversational stuff. And if you just want to create something which is even really simple, like a query system that looks like you're talking to, talking to a bot, there are tools that do that for you as well. You don't need to be able to write the code. So a marketer or somebody who understands how you have a conversation with a customer can create a system. You don't need to write code. You drag, you drag it in, you drop it, you move it around. It's, it's, it's so simple to put together. Mm. And there are already dozens of companies that do that. It's a highly competitive field. All of them are trying to become the number one. And the way they do that is by making this stuff available for hardly anything. You might end up paying some money for consulting work. Mm. Uh, but there isn't a company on the planet that can't afford an experiment in, in AI and chatbots right now. See, that makes me very happy because I think it's so important, especially one of my um, uh, clients, we were talking about the whole uh, natural language processing and how important that is and where they want to go with chatbots is I want to understand the tone of that particular person so that I can respond in accordance when that person's angry or there's any signal, how do I deal with that person? And I do think that brands and, and organizations, even small entrepreneurs, like if you have a a spa or a beauty salon to experiment with these things. I mean, it, it's powerful things for your business. I mean, listen to that hairdresser appointment. Yeah. I mean, that sounds expensive though. Well, that's Google. 
<laughs> Google, just, Google has deep pockets. <laughs> deep pockets. That does and, sound and expensive. Big toys. <laughs> you're like, that's like, the, you know, when you're in midlife crisis, you go to Google. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I'm, Godfrey, I'm, I'm blown away. Today has been absolutely interesting and it's really so refreshing to hear that it's not something that we need to be afraid of. It's something that we can experiment in, in our own capacity and we can learn from it. And it's, it's, it's really, I think it's just being an early adopter mm. and it's just taking on something that scares you. Get in early, deal with the fear when, it, when it's not mission critical, you know, mm. and, and just get comfortable with it because there's a whole vocabulary, there's all sorts of new stuff that comes along and none of it is rocket science. 100%. Well... In tradition, we have a little game that we play mm. Mm. in keeping with this tradition. So it's 60 seconds, 10 questions, and you need to answer those questions as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Okay. On your marks, get set, go. What would you name your boat if you had one? Alexa. What is the most difficult decision you ever had to make? Uh, whether to come on this program with you. No. What is the best and worst purchase you ever ever made? Worst purchase, a BlackBerry. Best purchase, a Samsung smartphone. Really? Mm. I'm an eye sheep. Mm. What is your biggest screw up in the kitchen? Um, not going into the kitchen in the first place. <laughs> What's something your brain tries to make you do and you have the will not to do it? Sleep. How would the world change if superheroes and supervillains actually existed? Um, we'd sell more merchandise. <laughs> what would be your strategy for surviving an apocalyptic epidemic? Oh, my gosh. I, I, would, I would ask my chatbot to show me the way. Sorry, it's up. Oh, my gosh. I can't say that word. Okay, okay, okay. If you could replace the handshake as a greeting, what interesting new greeting would you replace it with? Eye contact. Okay. Last two. What movie or book character are you most similar to? Mm. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> What's something that you've never been able to do well? Probably uh, speak in public. I don't think so. <laughs> Hello. It's always a struggle. Every time when I see you um, speaking, I mean, everybody's jaws drop to the floor and you really do bring insight. That's why you're here today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just want to thank you very much for actually coming all the way from Cape Town to come for this interview. We thoroughly enjoyed having you here. For all our listeners, please subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, CastBox or where ever else you could find our podcast um, when where you prefer to listen and then join me and Alexa next time and stay in touch and let us know what you want to hear more about. Thank you. You've been listening to the Carmen Murray show, another solid gold podcast for show notes and more episodes. Visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.